would say find uh, find a niche. Find uh, people kept telling me in the in the first year that riches are in the niches, and I kind of mm-hmm. go okay. But I think it's I think it's having a well defined what is what is my base clientele? What do I want to go after? Or what, who is my audience? And be very kind of, and have a good niche and maybe a niche that nobody else is really going after. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com. We have some time with us to chat and we're always here to help. Now, today we've got another great guest on the podcast, Scott Chesham. And uh, Scott uh, went to, or or after going from high school, went into the Navy Academy, was uh, the son of a veteran, and uh, didn't want to go the traditional college route, uh, was commissioned and spent uh, three years on on a ship uh, as a a surface, uh, I think a surface warfare officer, um, and then spent three years after that teaching in in an academy position. Uh, decided to uh, to get out or to or explore other options. Decided to be a finance guy. Worked for IBM and American Airlines for a period of time, and then found that he liked uh, having a greater impact on others. So became a opera or offer a cooperative CFO uh, for a few different startups and small business over twenty years, and then. Right before uh, COVID hit, decided he was uh, going to go out on his own and uh, start doing fractional CFO services, which is what leads to where he's at today. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Scott. Thanks, Devin. Great to be here. I appreciate it. It's, uh, look forward to talking with you. Absolutely. Excited to have you on. Looking forward to a great discussion. So so I just took a much longer journey, condensed in the 30-second version of it. So why don't we... Uh, <laughs> rewind and unpack that a bit. So tell us a little bit about uh, how your journey got started uh, coming out of high school, going into the Naval Academy. Right. Well, um, very good. I was, again, son of a retired Air Force veteran. So I was uh, considering going to Air Force, the Air Force Academy or the Naval Academy. I wanted to be a, a military officer. And uh, with the Naval Academy, I was able to get straight in uh, with Air Force, they wanted to send me to prep school in Minnesota, which didn't sound very appealing to a guy who spent most of his life living in warm weather. So uh, and that would have been five years to, to graduate. So I, I concluded that the Naval Academy and Naval Academy was a great option. So I went to uh, the academy. I graduated after four years. And um, as you mentioned, surface warfare officer. Uh, out on a ship out of Pearl Harbor for three years. It was intentional picking a ship out of Pearl Harbor, I promise you. And um, and then three years teaching surface warfare officer people that uh, were headed out to the ship similar to I was three years earlier. Three years teaching there at uh, Coronado, California, at the Naval Amphibious Base. So now just just to rewind, just because that's a, a good portion of your journey that uh, we don't want to jump over too quickly. So help us understand surface warfare officer. Sounds really cool. So I have no idea sure. what it is, but it sounds really cool. So walk us through a little bit of before you got into the <laughs> academic side and uh, did some of the, the teaching aspect. What did you do uh, within the in, within the Navy? So yeah, a, a surface warfare officer is a, is a naval officer that's on a on a ship on a traditional destroyer. I was on a frigate, uh, uh, 
battleship, whatever it is, and you're on there and you're kind of you're kind of basically apprentice, you know, learning your way how to be, uh, you know, all the way up to being a captain of a ship. So that's kind of your first part of the journey is being a surface warfare. So you're trained in all aspects of, uh, of um, you know, being a naval officer on a ship. So in my case, I was uh, an engineer, basically kind of the assistant engineer. I was called the main propulsion assistant, and I was in charge of the engineers that ran the fire room and the boiler room and the, and the engine room, and the machinist mates. Mm-hmm. So I did that for about a year. You had to qualify down in engineering, the engineering officer will watch, so I, I qualified there. And then I, I went up and I was in charge of first division, which is a very nautical division, of uh, some very uh, down-to-earth fellows called bosun mates, and they're really, they handle the lines and do all the kind of nautical uh, work on the exterior of the ship, including standing watch, helmsman, lookouts, all those kind of things. So uh, so that was kind of my three-year career. But that's in the Navy, either you're your surface warfare officer, if you're a uh, uh, pilot your aviation you know maybe you're flying off carriers or you may not be flying off carriers and uh, or you can be a submariner you can go into intel like cryptology kind of breaking code and and then some people went into the marine corps as well so i mean those are, are there are more options than that but those are the basic options that you come across when you uh graduate from the academy all right, no, makes uh, makes good sense. So now you, so you, you do that for a period of time. You, uh, and then you, what are you transitioned over, shifted over to doing, uh, more academic or kind of the the teaching position? So what, what made it motivated or, or caused that shift? Well, it uh, usually again back then, and this is a, a while back in the eighties. Uh, you usually do a tour on a ship for about three years, and then you do a lot of times you're doing shore duty, so you're alternating sea and shore. It depends depends on the situation, but that's kind of how we did it. So uh, when I was going to shore duty after my tour on the ship, I was looking at teaching. What do I want to do? And I said, I kind of like teaching. I was either maybe going to go and be an ROTC instructor at the University of Arizona or something like that, or I could uh, go back to SWAS or Surface Warfare Officer School in Coronado, which is obviously a fantastic place to be as well, um, and uh, teach. And I kind of I taught engineering and naval, you know, navigation, ship handling, and we actually did some leadership training there as well for people that were getting ready, like I was several years earlier, to go out to a ship to kind of prepare them. So uh, I enjoyed doing that. I really enjoyed doing it. I, I, I learned a lot. You learn a lot about, um, you must learn, master a, a subject quite in depth in order to teach it because uh, you're going to get asked a lot of questions and questions are sometimes not what you expect. So it makes you be uh, you know, very diligently prepared. It's a good, it's a good, uh, good way to approach a job in life is to, oh, I need to be very prepared. A teacher makes you do that for sure. Mm-hmm. Teaching does. Nope. Yes. Make, uh, makes sense and uh sounds like uh it was a gotta or gotta have a, an opportunity to influence a lot of others and also uh or garner a lot of skills that uh that paid off uh, later on in the career so now you you did uh academic teaching position for about i think you said about three years and then afterwards you decided to go more into private industry and switch over to doing finance is that right yeah, that's right. I had concluded that, you know, I enjoyed my time in the military, but I um, 
and, and once you go to a surf, uh, service academy, you're generally committed to five years of active duty. And if you're if you're a pilot, it's after you get your wings, so it may be seven years. So anyway, I spent six years on active duty and concluded that uh, you know I wanted to wanted to try something else. So I kind of retrained myself as a finance person, went straight into graduate school. Uh, I've always been very, very good with numbers and, and very, you know, have an affinity for them. So it made a lot of sense to do that for me. And uh, and any other thing, let's let's also be clear. After wearing a uniform for ten years between the academy and uh, you know, I didn't completely know what I was doing. I think that happens to a lot of veterans. You get out and you don't exactly always have a very well laid plan. And I certainly did not accept. I think I like numbers. Let's go. Let's go in this direction. So um, I, I went to graduate school, finished, and um, I got hired by IBM along with there was a whole bunch of there was about 23 of us with master's degrees and prior work experience. They hired a bunch of semi-grizzled veterans to come in and, um, you know, it was a huge company. It was 380,000 employees. So it was a behemoth of a, of a business. It was it was before it turned into more of a services company. It was really still a mainframe driven business way back then. Um, so I went to work at this plant, if you can believe that, manufacturing plant in uh, San Jose, California, and made storage devices for mainframes. So went to there and got, you know, the good thing about working for a large business like that is you get a lot of training, you get a lot of good experience. And every six or nine months, I say, hey, do you want to go do this? And I'd say, yeah, I'm going to move around and, and learn as much as I can and soak it up. So so that's kind of got me to IBM, and I left off uh, from there after a couple of years and went to work for American Airlines, which only had 100,000 employees, so it was a small company in a way. <laughs> but, uh, you know, also learned the airline industry and how difficult it is to, uh, to really be successful financially in running that business. There's obviously, it's very capital-intensive airplanes. There's a lot of maintenance a lot of spare parts, but it was, you know, again, I did same thing. I did several jobs and I kept thinking there's something missing here. And really I wanted to go. Ultimately, I felt like when I was on a ship, I had 40 people reporting to me the whole time and I needed to get back to more, you know, where I could have a bigger impact and, and leadership. So I jumped off and became a controller after um American Airlines, and I, you know, I had about eighteen to twenty people reporting to me when I when I made that move. But it was intentional. You got to work for a smaller business and have a greater impact. Gotcha. No, makes uh, makes uh, perfect sense. So now, see, so you decide. Okay, you did that for a period of time. You worked for IBM. You got great experience. You worked for, um, you know, American Airlines, another great uh, company. And so you do that. Now, did you decide you wanted to go off on your own or was it more of, hey, I'm going to try out retirement, see if, how it treats me. And I just hated it and I didn't want to do it anymore. Or was the intent kind of always, hey, I've done work and worked enough in the corporate world that I've got the experience and I want to go try something new and I want to do or, you know, captain my own ship or kind of walk us through how that or that progression or took place? Sure, sure. Uh, so I like to say this is my 3.0. My 1.0 was uh, military service. My 2.0 was corporate working in a corporate world. And 3.0 was running, running my own business. And so prior to running this business, I was a CFO of, for about 21 years of five small to medium-sized businesses. And um, 
you know, I've been thinking about it for the last four or five years uh, before I made this change that, you know, it's time to go off on my own. I kind of want to go do my own thing. I, like you said, I want to be captain of my own ship, whatever you want to call it. Mm. And uh, I, I kept feeling that pull. And eventually, you know, at the beginning of 2020, I was very burned out uh, from doing the full-time CFO gig for 21 years. And I know you spent some time on a couple inside of a couple of big law firms, so I'm sure you can relate. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, I said, uh, you know, I need to take some, and this is pre-COVID, this is right before kind of COVID took place, but I decided it's time to go. And I finished up my last CFO gig, March, 2020. It sent us, we, we went home on March 11th and I don't, you know, and so I haven't been back in a regular office in over three years, but anyway, so I took a couple months off recharged my batteries, learned to play piano a little bit, unpack some boxes, yawn, uh, <laughs> some honey-do list things in the house. Mm. And uh, with always the intent that I'm going to start doing this, I'm going to hang up my own um, shingle and, and do outsourced CFO consulting. So the fourth quarter of 2020, I started this business, um, and 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 that was kind of the calculus. I really wanted to do it, but I also wanted the ability. I kind of I'm I'm somebody who likes to learn all the time and always accomplish things. So getting the chance to work with a bunch of different businesses simultaneously really kind of keeps my uh, engine and brain running. So mm. I, I enjoy that part of it. Now, one or one question, just to rewind just a little bit, which is sure. so when you decided, hey, I, I want to go out on my own, want to do something else, captain, your own, you know, your own ship, whatever that you want to call it. How did you figure out what that was going to be? In other words, you know, was it just a, hey, I've always thought of it'd be great to, for businesses to have a fractional CFO or I just want to be able to continue to use my own skill set or kind of how did you nail down what kind of that next step would be as you stepped out on your own? Oh, exactly. I mean, the, the intent was that I would do part-time consulting uh, for businesses that really don't have a need or the finances to do to, to have a full-time CFO. So the intent was to outsource. When I started, I wasn't quite clear of the niche of what I was going to serve. But soon after I started, I kind of got the feeling, okay, I'm a veteran. I'm a son of a veteran. Actually, my mother was also a veteran and then a military spouse. She was in the Air Force in the, in the 50s, if you can believe that. So she was a, mm. a you know kind of a pioneer back then. And uh, so I really wanted to get back to the community. And I also feel like, and I could say that in hindsight, it's good to have a niche. So, um, uh, and, and I decided I really wanted to work with veteran-owned business and military spouse-owned business as my primary kind of category of companies to work with. But the idea was back to the point of, of being an outsourced CFO is to give those smaller businesses who don't have the need for a full-time kind of uh, part-time business wisdom, expertise, and experience at a fraction of the cost of a full-time CFO. That's really the, the concept behind it. And, uh, and so that was always really my intent was to use it. I also do business valuations. I got certified to do business valuations in 2021. It was just another thing to scratch my itch of learning new things. And also, I, I'm always interested in how business are, are, are valued. And, uh, you know, I had an experience of helping a business exit and looked at a lot of business, looked at buying a lot of them as well during my time as a CFO. 
No, makes sense. Sounds like it was a, a great niche and a, a, a great opportunity. So now kind of to follow up because, you know, sometimes you'll get into it and the, you know, you think of doing your own business is awesome. It's great. And sometimes it is and you enjoy it and you wouldn't ever change it. And other times you get into it, you say, man, it's just not what I thought it would be. Or sometimes it's a lot harder. Or sometimes it's a lot easier. It's just, you know, or very seldom is exactly what you expected. So as you jumped into that and, you know, got going and got into the business, you know, how did it go? Was it a rocket ship to success? Was it bumpy, still figuring out, still evolving or kind of uh, how did that progress? Oh, exactly. Like you said, it is not a, a, it's not a linear or a geometric progression straight up. That's not how it works. And you learn that very quickly. You know, I think I, I got a client referral, like right out of the gate when I opened up and did a project and did another project. And I thought that's great. And But it takes a while. It takes a while to really kind of scale and build your business, get your messaging right, pick your niche spend time in the right and i as as i say in hindsight it took 18 months of planting seeds until i felt like okay now i'm starting to get some tractions of being out there amongst business owners veteran business owners you know and, and networking and just kind of making my pitch at a lot of different um events zoom calls etc to get the, the name out there and then start to get some traction to go with it um so it it wasn't definitely was not a, an ascent upward and, I, and a while ago man how long is this going to take but everybody says 18 months that's i mean nothing is it's it's not the same for everybody but that's kind of what i thought about 18 months into it okay i've got some i really i kind of got my messaging right my mm -hmm. branding right i tell my story i've been planting my seeds and you just never know where your business is going to come from, from what interaction that you have, particularly as a solopreneur, um, consulting, just never quite sure where your uh, leads are going to come from. But I always say my feeling was I'm going to plant a lot of seeds and I'm going to be helpful to anybody that comes to me without any, expecting anything in return. And that's, uh, you know, that's kind of my nature anyway. But I think all that helps. But it was not a rapid ascent like a, a rocket launch to the International Space Station or something. It was it was slow and uh, you know methodical. I think that's how all good businesses go. And for ninety nine percent of people, that's the 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 course that you end up taking in in some form or fashion. So. So now catch us up. So you started this around 2020. So you've been at it for about three years. Catch us up a little bit. Where are things at today? How are things going? Where are things headed? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really, uh, it's really taken off since about, you know, the fall of last year, I started adding clients and then this year, the, you know, I have probably five times more referrals than I had the previous two years combined. It's just kind of over the transom, I get a lot of referrals and some of those are, you know, not good fits, but you know, there's a lot more attraction. I'm very busy. Um, I hired an assistant about two months ago, recognizing that I need some help and I need some, some good help to kind of help me with uh, administrative, with social media, with a, a variety of other things. She does a great job. She's on the call too. So I'll give her a shout. Erin does a fantastic job. Um, and, um, and that was that was my recognition of as an FTE. I think at times I would try to do too much myself, and I said I'm just not going to do that with my own business. I'm going to get help when I need it, 
And, and so now I'm, I'm very busy. I just I signed two clients this week, one to start in July and one I already so I signed this week and I'm already knee deep into it. Um, so I'm staying very busy and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what or who, what kind of person or position do I add to help me do the work and help me scale? That's that's really where I am now. So I, I've been uh, very fortunate, um, but I'm incredibly busy right now. Well, that's awesome. Sounds like a great place to be and uh, good problems to have to solve. So that's uh, our fun to, to be headed in that direction. So. Well, now as we've uh, kind of caught up to the the present day of the journey and even uh, looking a bit into where things are headed, great time to transition uh, to the two questions always asked towards the end of each episode. So we'll jump to those now. Um, so the first question I always like to ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? What did you learn from it? Um, I think my first year, you're to me, you're experimenting a little bit. What do I need to do? You're trying things. I, I call it a little bit of the ready, fire, aim strategy rather than sitting still. And that's probably my nature. So I spent money uh, on Facebook ads. And that was, that was just a waste of time. It was silly, bad, bad money spent. That's not even my core audience is really on LinkedIn. My clientele that I'm going to give in business audiences on LinkedIn, that's really where I should be spending my time. However, I kind of, I, I was somewhat talked into it. I agreed to it and I did it for about four or five months and I just pulled the plug. I said, this is just not a good use of funds. So it was a bad, it was a bad business decision and, you know, some cost money, money gone. I would, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't do that. But that was, and again, it, I always say when you're when you're starting, even though you have lots of finance experience like I do, business experience, you still for your you have to figure things out for yourself. You have to try some things and go, yeah, okay. And and like I said, after a couple of months of that, I said, this is this is not my audience. I shouldn't be spending money here. So let's pull the plug. Mm. No, and I think you know, and I think that that you know, always in in retrospect, always sometimes makes it you know, easy to say, oh, I shouldn't have spent money there and I shouldn't have gone down that path. And yet at the time you're saying, hey, what are the areas that expand or what is popular? What are people are saying I should do? And sometimes it's a great idea and it's beneficial. And other times you're saying, man, that was just a waste of money. I'd never do that again. And either way you get to get or have that learning experience of the areas that are your competency or where your customers are at. And sometimes you learn that just uh, by a bit of the school of hard knocks. And so it sounds like uh, an easy mistake to make, but a great one to learn from. Second, and, you know, well, I, I was just going to add on to that. I think it's okay too. It's okay. I would, you know, you, you're going to make mistakes when you're starting up and running a business. You are, and it's okay. It's kind of as long as you don't say, "Well, I'm just going to keep trying." I mean, sometimes you have to say, "This didn't work. Let's try something else." Or I'm trying to do this service offering or this product offering. I tried it. And it didn't work. It's okay. Let's try something else. And I think that's okay. That's part of what you should learn as you go through it is okay. It's okay to try things and then go, oh, okay, won't do that again. <laughs> no, I think so. And I think sometimes you just, you, you know, you can do the opposite of you're paralyzed by fear, so to speak of, hey, I'm too worried. I'm going to make a mistake and you never try things out. And that can have just as air detrimental or worse effect on the business of you're never trying new things out or never trying to expand. So it is that balance. And I think that it takes a, a good little while before you to figure out exactly uh, what that balance should be for, for your business. So 
Second question now that I like to ask is now, if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? I would say find uh, find a niche. Find uh, People kept telling me in the, the first year that riches are in the niches. And I kind of mm-hmm. go, okay. But I think it's I think it's having a well-defined what is what is my base clientele? What do I want to go after? Or what who is my audience? Who and be very kind of and have a good niche and maybe a niche that nobody else is really going after. And so I don't encounter a lot of fractional CFOs that are focusing on veteran-owned and military spouse on business. In fact, I've encountered one. It doesn't mean they aren't out there. But I think so. I think it's a good niche that helps. I also have some general camaraderie with um, with with fellow veterans. There's a lot there because there's a there's a common experience and there's a certain amount. But I, I think as as a rule, find an audience. Don't try to do be everything for everybody. But find an audience. Find an industry. Find a clientele that's kind of relatively specific and figure out where they. Uh, where they hang their hats and how to how to talk to them and how to communicate with them. I think that is to me incredibly important. I'm going to give you a twofer. I'll give you a second one too, since I'm Absolutely. a finance guy. Go ahead. And that is you always you probably need two to four times more money than you think when you get started. Um, you're you a lot of times startup businesses are undercapitalized, and 80% of the time that businesses fail is because they run out of money. So it's, you know, four out of five times. So I always say, when you think you need, you know, 25,000 to start your business, you probably need 50, you may need 75, who knows, depending on the nature of it. So make sure, you know, do all the things that you can out of the gate to make sure that you're capitalized or or make sure you have access to credit to allow your business to kind of continue while while you're building that. So um, I figured I'd give you a second one because I, I just couldn't let that one slide being a, being a finance guy. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I think that's a great takeaway. And I think it is one where, and I think everybody thinks they're going to be the exception to the rule of, hey, I've got my numbers nailed down. I'm, I've got it exactly. I know exactly what I need. And I think to your point, everybody finds out no matter how careful planning that goes, you're going to need more time and more money than you anticipate. So you take whatever you think you're going to need and double or triple it because that's probably a better accurate estimation. So I think that's a a great uh, piece of advice and a great takeaway. Well, now as we uh, do wrap up the episode, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Um, I would say the living uh, in the email is schess, S-C-H-E-S-S 84 at CFO, then with a four, vets.com. It's probably best to email me. My my website is CFO4vets.com with a four, too. That's another good way you can you can reach me and send communications to me. But if you want to get right to me. An email is the best way to do it. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out, support a great business, make or make a good connection and nothing else, a new best friend. So with that, thank you again, Scott, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now for all of you that are listeners that are out there, if you have your own journey to share and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So just go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. A couple more things as listeners, make sure to click share, subscribe, leave us a review, helps us to reach even more startups and small businesses to help them along their journey to success. 
And on that note, if uh, you're a startup or a small business and uh, need to help along your journey with us uh, with patents or trademarks, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. We're always here to help. Thank you again, Scott, for uh, coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Well, thanks so much, Devin, for having me. Pleasure. It's a lot of fun being on uh, chatting with you. And um, and I'll, I'll give a shout out for IP. Make sure you protect your business's intellectual property. It is very a very good investment of money. So protect it before you have to go fight for it um, later. I'm sure Devin will tell you that. But I absolutely trademarked my, my uh, logo and everything else. So thank you. Awesome. We'll definitely appreciate the shout out and thanks again for coming on the podcast and uh, best of luck.